Hi, everyone. Welcome to Parsha Stavarum 5783. It is also the second day of Av, and we are going to uh, learn from both of these um, Inyane Dioma, the Parsha and the time period that we're in. We're going to combine ideas. We're going to do the dedications, and I'm going to give you a little summary of what today's lesson is going to be about. So dedications are Rafur Shalem, Tadina Bracha Bastapar Naomi, Rifki Youngrice, thank you, Kodesh Baruch for the continued good health of Godel and Yehuda, Godel Yehuda ben Rezel, and Rafur Shalem and Bakar Lachol Yisrael, Avigal Hizgur, for Hakaris Tov, for her learning, and the 53rd anniversary with her husband. Chaya Tabor, Eloy Nishmas, Yehudas Perlbas, Eliezer Halevi, and Esther Schnitzer Weiss, Eloy Nishmas, her father, William Foyer, Nachum Zev Ben Shimon. All of you listening out there, you too can get all the sources, all the notes, all the Makoros and the dedications by emailing me, estween at gmail. For those of you that have it on the chats, you could read these wonderful little blurbs about the people that this year is dedicated to. Okay. What are we doing today? We are going to um, learn a few psukim in Parshas Tavarim that highlight the concept of the challenges of Gullus and the and the, the 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 keys to Geula. We never like to identify ourselves by what we're missing and our unfulfilled expectations and our dashed hopes and our broken dreams. No, that's not how we identify ourselves. We identify ourselves by each and every little victory that we achieve in our life's work of remaining attached to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not just us, but our families, our children, our everyone we influence. Don't forget, anyone you influence is called your child. The more person is a Talmud, the more they're considered a child. And, um, and, uh, and we're till and holding on and celebrating and appreciating and being proud of our small victories until that final time that we will ultimately be Zoha to experience, which is described in the last Navi to whose Nabuas were ever written, Malachi. The Chagai Zachai Malachi were the last Malachi, the last, last, the last three Psukim, which is the last page of our notes. Zichru Torah's Moshe Abdi. You're going to remember my Moshe's Torah, and that's going to be what we're talking about today. Until Eliyahu comes and restores the hearts of the parents to the children, and the children to the parents on that great future day. So, what we're learning about today, our essential messages, our role in this Geula, we have a famous idea: whoever quotes a Torah in the name of the person that said it before them brings the Geula. We're going to go deep into that. And the way we're going to understand that is first, understanding what's going on in the transition between the first force farm in the Torah to Sefer Devarim. And then we're going to understand the implications of that whole story of transition, what it means for our understanding of our responsibility to God as both influencers and influencees, how who we have to learn from and who we have to give over to. And how that goes, it's not always easy. And what happens when it's not easy? So let's start with the beginning of Sefer Devarim. Ela HaDevarim Asher Diber Moshe. If you have the notes, you're going to read them yourself. I'm going to summarize now. 
on these words, Moshe. These are Moshe's words. The, in your notes, you have the Vilnagon, you have the Maral, who explains that Sefer Dvarim is very different than the other four Svarim. The other four Svarim is Hashem dictating word to word to Moshe and Moshe writing it. Sefer Dvarim, the Gras says, is sort of more like the other Nevi'im, where they have a communication from Makadosh Baruch Hu, they internalize it, they process it, and then they express it in their own words. The fact that the last Navi to ever give Navua, Malachi, that we just read, says in the third Pasuk to the end of all of the Nevi'im, right? Zichru Toras Moshe means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu verifies and trusts that every word that came out of Moshe's mouth, the entire Sefer Devarim, okay, that they are legitimate. They are perfectly in sync with Hashem's ideas, it's as if Moshe is speaking for God. Nothing is lost in the translation. Moshe has the right and is considered the ultimate receiver who internalized everything correctly and is transmitting it precisely. So the Torah, Hashem has no fear calling the Torah, Torah's Moshe, even though the eighth Icar of the Rambam says that every word of our Torah is from Hashem. So what we're saying is, yes, every word is from Hashem because Moshe conveyed precisely Hashem's words. And he was so precise that Hashem said, Moshe, you could, I'm going to call the Torah in your name. And no one's going to think that you invented any part of it. Even the words you said yourself are precisely my message. Now, what we're learning here is that, it, and the Maral explains this, again, in your notes, that there's always a transition from the giver to the receiver. It happens between Hashem and Moshe from one generation to the next, and from parents to children, and from teachers to students. There is always going to be transition between the giver and the receiver. The goal is that the receiver, okay, that the receiver is, is receiving without distortion, distorting it with their own agendas or with their own um, need to conform with the trends or to justify something. There's no personal uh, preferences interfering. It's a, it's a loyal transmission from the giver to the receiver. So now, that being the case, that even though it says these are Moshe's words, they're not Moshe saying whatever he wants to say. They're Hashem's words perfectly conveyed through Moshe. Now let's go back a little bit and look at the background story of you know how this transition happened. When did Hashem say, okay, Moshe, I'm done speaking. Now you can take everything you've learned and, you know, use it, convey to them what you want to say before you die. Give them inspiration, give them encouragement, give them warnings, tell them how to hold on till the end, till like Malachi says, Zichru Torah's Moshe Avdi, until Eliyahu comes before that great Yom, uh, Yom HaGadova Noor, that awesome day. Okay, that great day called Yom Hadin, which we'll explain shortly. How did it happen? When did Hashem say, I'm done, Moshe, you start? So let's go back. It starts, the story begins in Bamidbar, Parak 27. It starts when Moshe says to Hashem, you know, I know I'm about to die. And could you please pick a ruler to lead Am Yisrael? And he refers to this rule, he refers to Hashem, in, in as Elokei Haruchot, God of the spirits, of the Ruach. And uh, Rashi tells us there that um, 
that uh, Moshe was saying, Akadosh Baruch Hu, you know the what motivates, what moves, like the wind, like the ruach, like the spirit. You know the different things that motivate and move each person. You know their minds are different, the, their sensibilities are different, their ability to process is different, the things they can process are different. Not everyone's a mathematician or a musician, right? Everybody has a different ruach, a different motivational uh, force in them seeks different things, is attracted to different ideas, all true, all Torah ideas, but some people love gematrias and some people like history and some people like diktuk and some people like Kabbalah, it's whatever. Pick someone who can understand each and every person. And that was Moshe's, Moshe's request. He knew he's going to die. So this is still not yet discussing any transition between Hashem saying, I'm done, your turn. That doesn't happen yet. But looking by Midbar 28.2, look what Hashem counter requests from Moshe. He says, wait, 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 Moshe. On the Pesach, Tzav has been right after this, after Moshe asked for a ruler and Hashem says, fine, take Yeshua. Then Hashem says, wait, command Am Yisrael about the Karbanos. And there's long, there's a couple of Prokim now just about Karbanos. Particularly Karbanos you bring on the Moadim, which are times of meeting between Hashem and Am Yisrael in the Ohel Moed, in the Beis Amigdash, the place of meeting that there's a connection, there's a coming together, there's special times in the year where we reconnect and we give certain karbanos. Karbanos come from the word likarev, to become close. So Hashem says to Moshe, I want you first, you're asking me to pick a ruler, a leader for them? I want you to teach them karbanos. Look at the Rashi. What's the connection here? What was just said? Moshe said to Hashem, please pick a ruler. Amar lo kadosh baruch Hashem retorts. Hashem has a counter request. Hashem says, "Wait, an shata tetzaveni albanai." Before you tell me what to do with my children, banai is gender neutral. Okay. Um, before you tell me what to do with my children, okay, tell my children what to do for me. Okay, tell them how they have to bring carbonos. Before you command me regarding my responsibility, my children, I should pick them somebody who understands them. You tell them what they need to do with regards to me. So what's going on here? This is the, the narrative. This is the story that directly precedes Hashem saying, after you teach them all the carbonos, I'm done. And now you can start teaching. You can start talking. Look in, and we're going to get go back in a second, just by Midbar 31, after Moshe completes to about two parakim of teaching about the, the uh, Karbanas, okay? Then it says, by Yomer Moshe Bnei Yisrael, this is a summary, Kachol Asher Tziva Hashem, as Moshe, Moshe told Bnei Yisrael, everything Hashem had commanded him, look at the Rashi, Lefisha Adkan, until here, until the end of Karbanas, Devar of Shalmakom, that's Hashem's. That's the end of Hashem speaking. Uparshas Nedarim, what starts the next parsha about vows. Matchila metacheles bediburo shel Moshe. This is the beginning of Moshe speaking. On his own, conveying. Now, so it really doesn't start in Devarim. It actually starts here in the end of Parshas Pinchas. But let's go back. So why is Karbanos the last sort of set of mitzvahs that Hashem gives Moshe to tell B'nai Yisrael in response to Moshe saying, Hashem, please pick a good real ruler for them. That is where Hashem, what, that is the last sort of communication, direct communication 
that Hashem is going to give Moshe that becomes Torah from here on in. Moshe's communicating the mitzvahs his way. And then when we say for Devarim, his exhortations, his musr, his inspiration, his encouragement. Why does it shift by Karbonus? And what is a whole conversation, this request and this counter request? And we're getting into the idea that um, Moshe is asking for a leader, someone to influence the people and understand the people. But Hashem says, a leader can only work with people who want to be led. A leader can only influence people in their connection to Kaddish Baruch Hu if the people themselves open up a channel for connection, that they come to the base of Megdash and they bring Karbonos, which today we know is tefillah, that they want to have a divine influence or a hashpa'a or a shefa or a flow that fills their mind and helps them see the world correctly. They come to this place, which is kadosh, mufrash, very separate. It's a place that you can access more easily the, the hashpa'a, the flow, because you open yourselves up more easily there. But until someone is willing to be connected, what can a leader do? So before you tell me to pick the perfect leader who has all this understanding and all of this emotional intelligence, along with all of the Torah that they got from Moshe himself, talk to the people. You can't reach someone who doesn't want to be reached. If someone doesn't come to the base of Megadish and they don't bring a carbon or they don't have any sort of prayer, even a basic prayer like, God, help me want to have a connection or God help me seek you, help me find you. The ultimate, by the way, on top of all our chinuch, my grandfather always, Rav Schwab always said this. Somebody who sent me an email that, you know, I mentioned my grandfather, assuming everybody knows who I'm talking about. For, but for those of you who um, are listening, you know, more recently, Rav Shimon Schwab. So I will remember to say that. So he always said, on top of the Torah you learn, on top of all the mitzvahs you do, the greatest compliment you can give a person, the greatest achievement is that a person should be a mevakesh Hashem, they're seeking God. And by the way, that comes in all sorts of forms and colors and shapes, because sometimes it's from the lowest place of utmost misery, that that seeking of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is really, you know, really is sort of uh, generates itself. And uh, you never know who's seeking in their heart. People in the most pain, generally angry, frustrated, they're often, they, they want to seek uh, but they're wounded, and they're 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 all of their self-inflicted, self-destructive behaviors is a is some sort of reaction to seeking and not finding, or being scared not to find. But in the end, in every person, there's generally a place of seeking, which is why most people, most people in the world, are salvageable in their heart of hearts, and only God knows that level of their seeking God and the pain that, that drove them there and that they're unfortunately contending with. But in any case, if, if a person really is cutting themselves off, and sometimes it's certain phases in our life where people do that, there's hard to reach them. So Hashem is saying what's more important than the best leader is the best, more important is that people should have a place constantly available, an avenue to seek, to reconnect. That's what you have to ensure first. So now let's talk about that. Let's take it to the next level. We all, who's responsible for other people seeking God? And the sad truth is that um, that no one is can be fully responsible for someone else seeking God. We do our best to convey 
the beauty of Taurus Moshe to hand it on correctly like Moshe did to convey it as it has been pure and pristine from the time it was given in Harsinai to give, we try to hand over Torah in a way that is pleasurable, not burdensome, that helps a person grow, that is flexible to their individuality of the person. There's so many facets to Torah. We make our environment and for whoever finds themselves in our environment, safe and pleasant and happy and intelligent and wise and supportive. And above all of that, we make our environment, we make our home, we make our, our personality, we make our makom that we carry with us all the time, like our turtles in a shell, we carry our makom with us. We make it a place where our priorities are crystal clear. That's the best we can do. We make our priorities crystal clear and we, we, we actualize them in a very pleasant, happy, enjoyable, and intelligent and understanding kind of way. That's the best we can do. In the end, everybody has their own Bechira. Everybody is going to go through their own journey and is going to be an adult and is going to have their own Bechira. Now, the question is, parents and children, what's the relationship? Are parents entirely responsible for their children's Bechira? We are trying to pass on Moshe's Torah as Moshe passed it on accurately. We continue with the responsibility to open up a relationship with Hashem that's called Karbanos or Tefillah and feel connected and draw that connection into our life and pass it on to the next generation. We accept it at Harsinai, responsibility to keep the Torah in its pure form alive. And by the way, the greatest chesed that our ancestors ever did was commit us to the Torah so that we have an anchor to hold on to with the stormy seas of trends and ideologies crashing upon us. We're holding on to the Eitzachayim, the tree of life, and we're committed to it, and we're trying to pass it on, and it's not ours to distort. We're just saying what we heard from whoever was before us, who was before us, all the way back to Moshe, who heard it from Hashem and, and presented it accurately. So now, what happens? What responsibility do parents have to children, okay, to pass it on? Well, for sure, passing it on, they have 100% responsibility. But the child receiving it, everybody has Bechira. Everybody has their own choices. So let's look at the concept of children and parents and passing on the Torah from generation to generation. So we're going to get to the idea of why saying something in the name of the person you learned it from is part of the Geula, facilitates the Geula. So look what it says. First of all, we all know Perkeavos says that every human being is precious because they are created in Selimilikim. But above that, Am Yisrael, who accepted the Torah, and I didn't put this in the notes, accepted to be Talmidim, to be influenced by and commit to the directions, the way of life, the mitzvahs, and the ideas in the Torah, we have chosen another level beyond Selimilikim. It's called Banim. Obviously, we're not biological children, Obviously, Hashem created all people. So Banim here, Rashi tells us in other places, Talmidim, to the extent that you are influenced by a teacher, you are called their child, okay? So Am Yisrael, who agreed to be influenced, except the Torah, is called Banim. So first of all, rule number one, truth number one, everybody in Am Yisrael, 
they, our grandparents did this for us, is already in the category or meant to be in the category of a child, meaning responsible to learn and uphold Torah. Of course, not everybody has that privilege, but for anybody, we, there is no person in Yisrael, and there's no person who everyone's allowed to join on Yisrael, we don't discriminate, to become a Talmud, to be to learn, is to become a child. Now, here, what is the responsibility of Am Yisrael? You have everybody from age, bar, bar and bas mitzvah age, 12 and 13 to 100, we're all banim lamako. Everybody together, parents and children, and children who are biological offspring of parents, are no different than their parents in being banim lamakom. The playing field is totally level. A parent has no status different than their child, and a child has no status different than their parent in being banim lamakom. So look in Devarim, and in Devarim Perak 19, we're going to get there. But um, look, look at this halacha. The halacha is ish imo v'aviv tiro, your mother and your father, you must have yira or and we're going to see Rashi explains what that is, what that means in terms of how you have to treat them. And you have to keep my Shabbosos. Why are these near each other? Look what Rashi says. Even though I'm telling you that you have to have awe of your parents, what if your parent tells you to violate the Shabbos? No, do not listen to them. In other words, the playing field is level. There are many responsibilities a child has to a parent. Look in the next, look in the English, right? What are they? What is mora? What is ima as imova aviv tira'u? What's yura? What's mora? Look, you cannot sit in your father's seat nor speak in, instead of your father. If he's, if he's about to answer, then you can't answer, okay? Um, you cannot contradict your father's words. What is kavod? Give them food and drink. Give them clothing and shoes. Lead them in and out of the room if they are sick. I mean, there's a lot of, clear laws. Obviously, we're not oversimplifying everything. There's different situations, but there are clear laws of kibbutz of aim. Okay. Nevertheless, and that, and what, one second, why are there those laws? Because the parent has, has, has a certain status that the child must cater to, the status of the parent. However, if the parent who's a child of Hashem tells the child who's a child of Hashem, so now you have like two brothers, two, two siblings, and one says desecrate the Shabbos, of course not. Nobody has any status greater than anyone else when it comes to having some sort of right to dictate that someone else violate the Torah. Okay. What are we talking about? Why? Because in the end, as we said, the playing field is level. We're all Hashem's children. We are all equally responsible to uphold the Torah. And if somebody says, if you love me, desecrate the Torah, or if you ever want to see me again, desecrate the Torah. And again, here, we're being very general, okay? There's so many halachas that, if a, that, that, that obviously have to be learned. There's halachas, just to digress for a second, if somebody's a chola, sick, of course, there are certain times you can desecrate mitzvahs for them. But we're talking about a situation, right, where a person says, I, it's not my truth, and I insist that you accept it and that you cooperate with it and do, and do things the way I want them done because, you know, I'm the parent or I'm the child and I'm scaring you that you'll never see me again. 
So um, here we're already getting into the concept that, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We have a father in heaven that we're all children of. So there is no license to accommodate one of the children and desecrate and violate and deny the, the Torah truths because of some biological relationship. There's, there isn't such a dispensation. Okay, let's go further. There's another, another halach in Devarim, paragraph 14. When somebody dies, when a loved one dies, lo sisko to do, you can't start ripping your hair out, okay? Look what Sifarno says. You may not show excessive grief over the loss of a relative, okay? As long as there's a more relevant relative, which is Hashem, who's still alive. If somebody that we love dies, okay? We can't be, we can't demonstrate that this person has, you know, is, is who we're attached to above and beyond all things because we're attached to Kodesh Baruch Hu even more. That's why Hashem reminds us in this context that we are his children. In other words, whatever relative we may mourn, okay? Still, we have a father who is alive and well. So we are still attached. So what we're getting into, we're not orphans. So what we're getting into here is to, the, the Torah wants us to remember that in passing on the Torah accurately, there are going to be situations where we are going to be challenged between our attachment to loved ones, physical, biological, pe people connected to us through biology, because somehow by HaKadosh Baruch Hu's design, we ended up being born to this person or as that person's sibling or by HaKadosh Baruch Hu's design completely and by HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creation completely, some ch child came out of us, which we had basically no part in making that happen except being the host and just basically standing there and being the host. Um, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, don't get more attached to them than you are to me because you're all here as my creations you're all in the same boat as my creations, as my children. You all have the same responsibility to me. And losing humans is very sad, something we never really get used to. But you haven't lost your real attachment, which is a Kaddish Baruch. My grandfather brings an idea like this in the Haggadah. Why does it say Baruch HaMakom before the Arba Banim? And he says beautifully that you might have a parent sitting there and there's no child anymore to talk to. The child has, with their own choice, disconnected themselves entirely. They don't want to hear, no matter how good the teacher is, the influencer is, they don't want to hear anymore for whatever reason. And they have their own cheshman with Hashem. It's not ours to judge. But the parent is sitting there without a child. So we say, Baruch HaMakom. We call Hashem HaMakom. And we've learned this idea very often. Makom, like the baby and the mother, no matter where we go in the womb or in this world, we're always in our makom, like the turtle with the shell. We always are within the greater context, supported by, contained within, enveloped by, protected by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're always in our makom. So even if there's no child or no parent, you are not alone. You are not bereft. You are not unmoored. You are not unanchored, you are in a muckle. Now, what we're saying, I wrote a summary here, okay? So the summary so far is like this. After Moshe says, pick a leader, 
who can really help them. Hashem says, first command them about karbanos or tefillah. Okay, a way to, re to be connected to me. Okay, after that, then Moshe can start inspiring them and um, influencing them because there's an avenue for each person to receive. Okay, so let's be realistic about being an influencer. What's what Hashem told Moshe? You can only give if someone wants to receive. Okay, so we apply this now to parents and children and, and even teachers and students and just being that army of one in a world where everybody is, you know, just sort of slipping down that slope into some new trend or fad of, that will lead to oblivion. And uh, just like Avramavina was an army of one, and he was called the Nivri, the other sider, the other sider, okay? So too, what happens? We HaKadosh Baruch Hu set up a world where we all influence each other. We all inhale everyone else's exhale. But particularly when it comes to family relationships, it gets very confusing because parents give birth to their children. So there's biological offspring, okay? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu used that particular person as a conduit to get a child into the world, okay? And as being a parent, the parent has a responsibility to convey Taurus Moshe in the best multifaceted way they can. So it'll be loved and cherished by the children. And of course, the most important thing of all is building an environment of love, joy, fun, pleasure, and understanding, which is, this is vital. At the same time, just because somebody came out of us biologically, we don't control them. We don't, their, their neshama is not automatically an extension of our neshama. They have their own bechira, their own umbilical cord, and they're going to make their own choices. And they're going to be influenced by a lot more people than the parents, which is why it's very, very important to make the environment that we can provide so appealing that it's the, the other alternatives are not, are not, uh, are not that exciting. So, um, so, but no matter how, you know, we try our best, we're not perfect at all. And in the end, our children have their own Bechira. So in the quest of transmitting Taurus Moshe, there are battles and there are wars. Could lose a lot of battles and win the war as long as we keep our eye on the prize. What is the prize? Zichru Taurus Moshe, that there is a truth that came all the way from Hashem and it is being conveyed generation to generation. It's our Eitzachayim and we're holding on to it and we can't let go of it, Okay. Um, this, the fact that Torah, that our ancestors accepted Torah for us and, and connected us to us, it anchors us and it keeps us moored to the MS so that we don't let our own or other people's confusion or the generation's confusion override or take precedence over Hashem's truths and ultimately rip us away from holding on to our Eitzachayim. Okay. When a parent, when a parent tells a child, be Machal Shabbos, the child says, no. You can't rip me off the Eitzachayim just because you're my parent. Ad Khan. Here's this is how far it goes. And of course, there's no halacha about parents listening to their kids because there's no such thing that a parent has a misfit to listen to their kids. But of course, in our desire to influence our kids, we we do everything we can. And there's many shilas to be yes, but our kids cannot rip us off our Eitzachayim and help and let us just go drifting down the stream to nowhere. Okay, because we're all the same. The playing field's level. They don't have some greater status than anyone else, and therefore there's no nobody can is allowed to rip us off the Eitzachayim that we're holding on to, and um, and making it clear that there is only one Eitzachayim and we are holding on to it under all circumstances, no matter what happens, allows us to be very firm and have our priorities very clear. 
and still be compassionate and understanding, but not, of course, violate halacha or, or create a trend or contribute to a trend that's ripping other people off the Eitzachayim. Okay, so now we're going to take this to the next level. How do we hold on to the Eitzachayim without and not let anyone rip us off, no matter who it is? By the way, I asked my grandfather, neshamas are not related to each other. We all come down with our own umbilical cord. Just because someone's a biological child, they don't have a more of a demand or a right to take to 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 dictate our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Not a parent, not a child. We all have to hold on to ourselves. Ad like Malachi, Malachi says, till that great day. Now, how do we hold on to the Tzachim? One of the ways is called Omer Dover B'Shem Omro. You say something in the name of the person that you heard it from. Let's talk about this. It's a very famous idea. Why? And this idea comes up by Purim. We started by Purim. Purim is the beginning of the, the portal, the gateway, ultimately to the long gullus. And believe it or not, before this, you didn't say stuff, B'Shem Omro. There was no such principle. Let's understand that and let's read a very interesting pasuk in, in Shmuel. And this is a perfect opportunity to see how Tanakh, Shchomish, and Navi can never be taken on face value. You must have Torah Shabal Peh to um, guide us through how to read Torah Shabbat Sav, okay? Which is Navi also. So when do we say something B'Shem Amro? When do we not say it? And what's, why? What, what's the distinction? So obviously it's pretty clear. You say something in someone's name, that connects you all the way back. I heard from Moshe Feinstein, who heard from his Rebbe, who heard from his Rebbe, right? All the way back to Harsinai. And in the Gemara, you'll see, because it's way after Purim, this one's Amar Rabbi Hanina, Amar Rabbi Lazar, Amar, and like there could be a long list of people quoting the person they heard it from. But before Purim, no. Why? So here's a story about David Mel, just as an opportunity to see how we learn Torah. It's in Shmuel Bey's Parakhaf Gimel, Sukkim 15, 16. David says, I'm so thirsty, I have a craving. Who can get me water to drink from the cistern in Beis Lechem that's in the gate? So three warriors got through the camp of the Plishtim and they drew, drew water from the well that's by the gate in Beis Lechem and they brought it to David. Now listen to this. But he refused to drink it and he poured it on the ground to God. What is this? So Gemara says something like, says something, go, you can learn the Gemara yourself. The Gemara essentially says, this is just telling you in sort of like, code language, an analogy, in story form, there's a much deeper. David had a halachic question. It had to do with the plishtim and damages and saving Jews and plishtim, a whole story. He had a, he, and he wanted mayim. He wanted mayim chayim. He wanted Torah. He wanted a psak halacha. So he said to his people, who can go to the Sanhedrin, the Beistin, in Beis Lechem, and work out this halachic shayla and fight it out with all the back and forth and back and forth and come back with a psak. And three people did, and they came back with a psak halacha. And David said, I'm not going to drink it, meaning I'm not going to say this halacha in your name. I'm going to pour it out for Hashem on the ground. I'm going to give this halacha to God. What's happening here? So this is, I'm going to say B'Shem Amro, but Heshi, the secret weapon, explains it. Um, of course, based on Sfarim, it's like this. In the time of David, if you look at Rambam, gives a whole list from Har Sinai through Moshe to Pinchas to Eli to all through the Shoftim, okay, to the kings, all the way down until Ezra, until the beginning of the second base of Megdash, pretty much 
except for certain patches, there was a basin. If a person came to the basin with a Shiloh and said, I, what's the halacha? And then everybody said their point of view. And let's say one person said a point of view in the basin said that, yeah, that's the strongest argument. And they vote and they say, okay, the halacha is like this. And it's because this person's argument is the one we're going with, okay? So in a way that person contributed the Psaq halacha. However, once Basin decides on a halacha, and we don't have Basin today, one of the great things we should have, we have, we really are mourning. We're really mourning this, as we'll see in a second. We don't have Basin, but when Basin said, okay, this is the halacha, guess what? Once Basin says it, it's, that's it. it there is no machlokis. It, oh, it is the truth for all, for all Amisro. That's it. There's no machlokis. This is Torah. Once Basin says it, it's Torah. Period. It becomes part of the corpus of Torah completely. So, not when you say it in someone's name, that's less of an achievement than saying your Torah became part of the corpus of the of the entire Torah of Torah Shabbat, of Torah Shabbat Peh. This halacha, this insight, this application is now part of Torah Shabbat Peh. Means it's everybody's Torah. It comes down to everybody. It's not just yours anymore. You've added something to the entire corpus of Torah. That's why David said, you got it from the Basin. Two things. Number one, I'm not going to say it in your name. And there's another aspect here. And this is our what we're going to focus on. David says, and we learn from here in the Gemara, David said, I have a Masorah, part of Torah also, that if somebody is Moser Nefesh to get Torah, you fought through it, you fought through the camp of the plishtim, which you're saying you fought through for this idea about what to do in this halacha situation, and you were most of your whole nefesh, or you put all your time and effort into learning it, understanding it, and because of your moser nefesh for Torah, and you brought it back to me, and this is your highest priority, okay, it becomes part of Torah. I don't have to say it in your name. It becomes part of the entire corpus of Torah. So David Mel says, if somebody if somebody kills himself for the sake of the words of Torah, you don't say Torah in their name. Okay, this is up when we had a basin. But after we no longer have a basin, something else comes into play. How do you know that the Torah that you are receiving is is Torah? You don't have a basin that makes a halacha and says this is it, or this is how we understand things. You have to say to, you know, you have to go and trace the path all the way back to your Rebbe. Who was your Rebbe? Who was your Rebbe? Who was your Rebbe? All the way back to the last basin. All the way back, ultimately, to Moshe Rabbeinu. So now it becomes very crucial that a person that we quote who we heard Torah from, because that's the way we are saying. You know what we're saying when we quote who we heard Torah from? It's not my Torah. This is not mine to justify. This is not mine to defend. This is not mine to distort. This is not mine to deny. This is not mine to, to, um, to, to, um, to desecrate. This is not my Torah. I got it from this person who got it from that person. Okay. So it's a anchor, all taking us all the way back to our Sinai that allows us to stay connected to that Eitzachayim and despite, as we said, all the ravages of what's going on in society, it allows us to stay connected. And it, 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 it gives us the confidence that we are passing on Taurus Moshe 
as 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 has been the last instructions of the last Navi, Zechutoris Moshe, and we're not letting anybody or confusion, as we said, pull us off of that. We're staying connected. Now, this is very important just to mention something, and then hopefully we're gonna wrap it up and take questions. Very important. When it says, I heard from this person and I heard from that person, let's not oversimplify it. It doesn't mean I read a safer and somebody said something. That's not what it means. What it means is that when you have a Rebbe, when you have a Mahalach, a way of understanding the Torah and, and understanding, there's so much of Torah to understand, okay? What a Rebbe gives you is not just information of what a Pasuk means or what, what the Rebbe gives you is a approach to life. How to distill all of those ideas into a coherent, user-friendly, stable, solid approach to life that keeps you holding on to the Eitzachayim. Because what happens, particularly today with the internet, everybody can get out there and say whatever they want, even me, okay? Everybody can say whatever they want. People can write any book they want. People can quote anyone they want. Tons of stuff is taken out of context. It's oversimplified. It doesn't mean something in, you know, one little like sort of, it's not all one size fits all. So you need a mahalach on life. I'll give you an example. You can hear somebody quote, Hashem says that if you give mice, you're going to get rich. It's one of the ways you test Hashem. Guess what? And by the way, there's a great site called Miyode. You can always check things on Miyode. I just looked that up. Yes, it's true, except there's 17 conditions that can get in the way of a Kaddish Baruch Hu giving you Ashiras, wealth. So even if a person gives Meiser, if any one of those 17 conditions exist, okay, like they made money dishonestly, no, they're not going to get rich. There's 17 variables. It's not so simple. If somebody says, have a Muna and Hashem will provide for you, it's not so simple. I ask you to go back and listen to Amunifestations. Scroll back about 15, 20 classes. It's not so simple. You sit back and have a moon, Hashem gives you everything. It's not a two plus two silly little equation. It doesn't work like that. There's so many variables. There's so many layers, okay? Back to Gemara itself said, many, many tried. It didn't work. So you have to have a mahalach on life, okay? Now, there are many different styles. People like Hasidus, people like, you know, um, more, more rational. But it all in the end, we're all holding, as long as we're holding on to the Eitzachayim, which are the mitzvahs, and the Torah, and we're not letting anyone pull us off of that, which means, in real words, we are not letting anyone dislodge us. We are not going to choose to do Averis and cater to Averis as if we accept them, okay, and lose ourselves. We can say, this is an Avera. I don't accept it. You have your journey. You're going through stuff, okay? But this is, and but, but, this, but Torah is Torah, and this, what you're going through is not in sync with Torah. That's between you and Hashem, but I will never say it's in sync with Torah, and I will never facilitate and, and your ultimate disconnection from our Kaddish Baruch Hu. Now, can a person be ultimately disconnected? Most people, no. Most people have armor Vakshay Hashem, but I got to tell you, just to digress for a second, Sometimes we think we're doing some, we're, we're, we're helping a person when we're really just pushing them over the cliff. In other words, and even halachically, we have to be very careful. I just unfortunately heard a story of a child that wanted her mother to accept her decision to cut her body parts off. 
okay? You know what I mean? There's they're finding, knowing what is permitted and what is unpermitted. And when people start lopping off their body parts and also start doing all sorts of self-destructive things, they're just unfortunately on a slippery slope to suicide, to really, really destroying themselves. And is a person to allow to help a person do that? <laughs> you can't help. So in fact, in Florida, they just, they just, do you know they just passed the law in Florida? That if a parent assists a child in their a minor in their transition, gender transition, they take away all the kids. Can you imagine? Because that parent is facilitating the child to do so much self-destructive stuff. So there is a balance between knowing halacha, what you what the lines we can cross and we can't, and not participating, not, not with our own two hands, ripping people off in ways that make it so hard for them to reconnect to Torah. And we have to so, but at the same time, being super clear about what our priorities are. And of course, this is very general, very compassionate for people that are suffering tremendously, but be very careful no, you know, about, about, um, about giving precedence to some biological relationship that Hashem created and, and allowing that to desecrate or to really um, to to damage not only our own but other people's capacity to stay connected to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Now, here is another pasuk from Devarim, which which is we're going to wrap up with. Lo but a judge cannot um, sort of a judge cannot be partial to one person in judgment. And then it says lo taguru mipnei ish, do not be afraid of any person. Somebody says, you better paskin like me or I'll kill you or I'll bribe you or I'll, 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 you, or I'll cause you, all your kids to lose their jobs. Do not be afraid of other people. Okay? Ki mishpat lelokimhu. Because the mishpat is for Hashem. This is this idea, mishpat lelokim. The word elokim. Okay, we're going to talk about what's called midas adin. The word elokim is the same gematria as hateva, nature. We always associate Elohim with Midas Adin, which we simplistically think, and this is not the case. Hashem is scrutinizing us, and Midas Adin, I'm going to punish you because you violated this or that. That's not Din. Let's get sophisticated. Elohim is the creator of Teva. Okay, Teva is Din. Two plus two is four. Nature is Din. Two plus two is four. Let's say somebody says to us, I want you to accept the fact that for me, two plus two is 3.9999. I have my own truth. And my truth is that I can say two plus two is 3.99. This is the way I see the world. Are you allowed to help that person build a building or a bridge using the equation that two plus two is 3.999? Are you allowed to help them? No, because what's going to happen to that bridge or that building? It's going to collapse and everyone's going to die. and It's going to be your fault. What am I saying here? Just the Elohim establishes what is the facts, what is the reality, what is metzias, what are the non-negotiable truths. It's Elohim's, just because we're all creations, we all came from somebody's belly and we all gave birth to people and we're all related to people, it doesn't matter. Elohim made midas hadin, meaning two plus two is four. There are certain non-negotiable realities. If we help somebody live their truth, which is destructive to them and to everybody else, and rips us off the Eitzachayim, we're responsible. We can't, that is not something we're allowed to do because Mishpat belongs to Elohim. But the good news is, 
that with all the confusion and all the terrible service that people go through, when people they love are, for whatever reasons, finding it hard to stay connected to the Eitzachayim, and then going even further in often their cholas hanefesh, their emotional, spiritual sickness, and doing damage, even more damage to themselves, and then demanding that other people help them do damage to themselves, or appreciate or celebrate the damage, okay? It's terrible. Lo aleinu, not for anybody. This, unfortunately, is a reality that Amishol has had to deal with for millennia. It's not the first time. And it's a very painful experience to go through. And at the same time, everybody has Bechira. Nobody is entirely responsible for someone else's Bechira. And nobody can totally fix someone else's Bechira. And fundamentally, we can't go through life measuring ourselves by our dashed hopes and our unfulfilled dreams and our disappointments. That isn't who we are. We are not someone else's life's choices. That is not who we are. In the end, we are to, we are only our connection to Hashem Baruch Hu, how we try to grow it, how that overflows and influences everyone, which is the best we could do is overflow and hopefully influence others, try to save others from hurting themselves the best that we can, but we sometimes can't. And we are only responsible, we can only be responsible for our commitment to Taurus Moshe and making that commitment something that everybody hopefully will want to model. But again, again, we can't control anybody else. So we measure ourselves not by our disappointments and the influence we didn't have, okay? And the impact we weren't able to make and the people we weren't able to save. That is not who we are. We are our small victories. We are our maintaining our attachment to the Eitzachayim. We are doing the best we can to be the kind of person that people will want to be influenced by. We are the, we are the person, we are the extent of how we helped other people in all sorts of ways, realize that they can reconnect and open up channels to HaKadosh Baruch That's who we are. Now, Malachi says, just remember the Torah, okay? I commanded it in Chorev. I'll call Yisrael, the Mepharshim say, for the benefit of all of Yisrael, because I'm going to send Eliyahu before that great day when all truth or din is restored and everybody sees clearly what is reality? And at that time, the parents and the children will be reunited. The Avos of Raham Yitzchak and Yaakov and the Mahos and all the descendants, the immediate parents, the immediate children, the Rebbeim and the Talmidim, the earlier generations and the later, everyone will be united. Everybody will open their eyes to the MS. It will come and it will happen. Malachi is saying, hold on, don't let go. Make sure you hold on till that time, okay? You can only be in charge of your own holding on. You can't fully be in charge of someone else's holding on. And, and, we, and, and so we're in a time period, we're talking about the ultimate ka'ula and shetishaba, which would be a yantiv, to one of the techniques is to say something, b'shem amro, always hang our hats on a very tall tree that we are saying what they said before us, 
The mahalach in life we have is a mahalach that's come down for thousands of years. It's keeping us connected. We're going to stay connected. We're going to have a lot of compassion. We'll do what we can, but we're going to stay connected and we're not going to uh, stab ourselves to make someone else happy and uh, rip ourselves off the tree to please someone else. So, um, so this is a big, big nisayon in our generation. We will, this, we will survive. We will be stronger. Amishol always survives. There's been many, many trends, many, many situations. Amishol survives. Mirtashem, after generations, come back. Every person's neshama is in their own relationship. We don't know to what extent they're being a mavakesh Hashem. That's between them and God, and they have their own connection to God, and it's not our business. It's not ours to even know. We have to trust in that. And at the same time, accurately and loyally hold on to the Torah and pass it on correctly. Okay, I am now going to unmute you and allow you to ask questions. Go for it. Sorry, it's a yes. Sorry, it's Ilana. Hi. Hi, Ilana. It was beautiful for the Thank second you. time. Thank you. Um, but I still do not understand the Pasuk of the, uh, David Amela with the pouring the water into the ground. I'm sorry. Okay. okay, let me explain that further. Thank you. When David poured it into the ground, okay, and you can all already have like, um, you know, you're already getting those uh, associations with the Nisa Hamayim on Sukkot. Pouring it into the ground, pouring the water into the ground. Somebody's phone is making noise. Okay, wait, I gotta, I gotta mute you for a second. Somebody's phone is, somebody's making noise. Pouring it into the ground, very important. We, this is a Kabbalistic idea. I'll digress on it for a few minutes, okay? Pouring it into the ground. This is actually very important to understand. We have a concept called the upper waters, the Mayim Elyonim and the Mayim Tachtonim. What this means is that there's inspiration or hashba that comes from above. There's also inspiration that comes from below. What people generate, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends down to us. When a person kills themselves for Torah, meaning they sacrifice themselves for Torah in all sorts of ways, their Torah becomes part of the corpus of Torah. It actually becomes part of the Shefa, the Hashpa that comes down to us. How does it become part of it? When, you know, the waters, the mushal is water. When water seeps into the ground and eventually seeps to the oceans and evaporates and comes down as rain, it's a cycle. And by the way, tefillah, which is in, in the place of Karbanas, is also a cycle. Meaning your Torah has now entered into the realm of the Torah generated from down here, from your hard work. It now mingles, it merges with the with God's hashba, and your contribution is now part of the corpus of Torah, part of Torah Mishamayim. It comes down to everybody. Everybody benefits from it, like the rain. Everybody is nurtured from it. And so I've I, you, I've entered your Torah, David is saying, into the cycle of Torah, into the full, into the Torah, into into it becoming ultimately Torah Mishamayim. So he pours it on the ground. That's what we do on Sukkot. We take water from the springs the Gihon spring we pour it through the there's a cylinder like a pipe in the mezbeach it goes deep into the kidron valley joins the lower waters and goes back up to the higher waters and it's a concept of the same idea of that cycle okay i'm going to unmute you again because somebody was phone was making noise does that make sense ilana yes thank you okay yeah. Answer. It gives a different perspective to the bracha, rakah, ratzalamayim. Yes, rakah, ratzalamayim. That's right. Somebody put a chat. Somebody put a a, a Tanya here. Um, I know Sandy says tattooing was the beginning of body destruction. Interesting how today's 
um, trends. There's like, people are literally like billboards. I once had a guy here, he was like a Rastafarian Jewish and he didn't keep anything. And he was living in, in wherever Rastafarians live, South Africa, I don't know. And he said, my grandmother told me that if I ever get a tattoo, it will kill her. So the one thing I never did is get a tattoo. And I just want to mention that when a person's priorities are very, very clear and they're very strong and they're not negotiable and that person is not getting pulled off the Eitzachayim and, and the child knows that. And on top of that, the house is loving and fun and Yiddishkeit is beneficial and we gain from it and the community has so much that we benefit from and problems are addressed and they're dealt with and there's safety and there's oneg pleasure and Torah makes sense and there's clear priorities and there's strength that is, you know, nobody's going to want to give all that up. Nobody wants to give that up. And, uh, and, and when a person recognizes that there's no way they're getting their parents off that Eitzachayim, and the, if they fully disconnect themselves and drift away, they'll be drifted away. And they're going to lose a lot. They're going to lose maybe even everything. Okay. And if there's a, and if it's a good home, they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. So what happens if it's not the perfect home and there's lots of service and lots of issues and the kid might not feel safe in the home and might want to drift away and despite, and they don't care about the parents' priorities, you can't really, like we said, we can't control other people, but the only thing we could do is repair our environment so that it becomes a place that people want to be and want to be connected to. In the end, Torah has to be something we enjoy. It has to be it has to be oneg. It's got to be pleasurable. And to keep it pleasurable, we sometimes have to lose a bunch of battles as long as we keep our eye on the prize, which is the war, okay? Winning the war. So- What do you mean by making it pleasurable and keeping the eye on the ball? Okay, I'll give you a perfect, I'll give you an example. A person has a dream of their perfect Shabbos table with Samiros and Divrei Torah and all of that, okay? But they have a Shabbos table and it's still Shabbos and everybody's sitting around the table, but there's no Zemiros and there's no Divrei Torah and everybody's screaming, but they're having fun, okay? And they're arguing about Trump, I don't know, okay? <laughs> And they're, and they're, right? and they're rowdy, but it's not that pristine, but it's Shabbos and everybody's there. That's enough. It's good enough. It should be happy. It should be a place everyone wants to be. It's still a Shabbos table that's beautiful and Bukovadik. And they're still sitting around the Shabbos table. We have to keep our eye on the prize. So okay? how do you do Tochacha? How do you do Tochacha? <laughs> it's very, very good. You know, we didn't talk about Tochacha. We talked about maintaining your priorities and making it happy so people don't want to leave. That is the best way. Tochacha is very tricky. A, Moshe Rabbeinu, taking a page out of the book of Yaakov, never gave Tochacha till he was about to die. Tochacha <laughs> generally doesn't work well. You cannot give Tochacha unless the person receiving it loves you and trusts you and wants to hear it, which is basically never. And at least even if they love you and trust you, hardly do they want to hear it. Well, we don't see Yitzchak giving tochacha. We we it's not tochacha as much as building a place that people want to be in. Mm -hmm. And that we can do. And that we can do. And again, like I said, there's a lot of little battles. And I'm going to say something publicly right now. And I know everybody says a different generation and blah, blah, blah. I went to Berea High School in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Okay. And I was pretty much one of two or three Shomer Shabbos people in my class. Okay. And my parents were very, the priorities were very clear why they lived in Elizabeth. My father had a job in Bell Labs. 
And my parents had extreme confidence in their, in the beauty of Yiddishkeit. They had never had an issue or worry that other people who weren't even Shomer Shabbos or Kashras in my class, that they would pull me away. They just knew that we would pull them to us. And we did, many, many people. And I remember one time I was in high school and um, they were in Bruria at that time, the dress code <laughs> was you had to have a sleeve. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have just the flare. Yeah. So I had friends, the whole, like I said, I was like one of the only Shomer Shabbos people in the class. And forget about Shomer Shabbos, Sneas. So I wanted to go to school in t-shirts. So I did t-shirts and, and, um, <clears throat> and I remember at some point, my grand, my mother called my grandfather. I think they were sweet 16s. Yeah, there were no bus mitzvahs. There were only sweet 16s. And they were dance yep. parties. Yeah, I wanted to go. I wanted to go to them. And of course, I put up big fights. So <laughs> my parents let me go to some of them, but not the ones that were like in discos or nightclubs. Those I couldn't go to. Anyway, anyway, my, grand, my mother called my grandfather. I think it was in 10th or 11th grade. And she said, what should we do about Esther? <laughs> and my grandfather said, don't see everything. Don't hear everything. She's going to be fine. Beautiful. Yes. Really, really beautiful. That so, was a bracha we all could use. <laughs> so again, picking your battles and keeping your, but your priorities have to be ironclad. Your kid, that's it. There, there could be no confusion with the children of what the parents' values and priorities are, period. Okay, there can be, that's, that's the thing. And you could say, I am, you know, I understand your issues, maybe even your emotional sickness and the psychological and also contributed to by the culture, which is really making you think and choose things that are really unhealthy for everybody. And I appreciate that, unfortunately, you're going through that. Okay, but I can't facilitate your self-destruction I am and you have to know who I am and what and what I will always stand for and you've got to make your peace with me on my terms at some you know you I can't I can of course we always try to help people so Esther then how do we, how do we deal with the homosexuality and same gender marriages and all that stuff if it comes this up? is this is where people have to really understand that you can have Rahmanus. Mm -hmm. but you cannot facilitate a desecration of Torah. You cannot let go of the Eitzachayim to make someone else happy. You can't walk someone down the aisle because they insist if there's, you just can't participate in it. It's Keneged Torah's MS. It doesn't mean that you can't have Rachmanis and be nice to them and keep all the mitzvahs of Ben Adon Lachavero, but you can't participate in a direct public violation of Taurus MS, you cannot let go of the Yitzchayim for someone else to be happy. That's a very strong statement, but I think it's, I think it's- You can also dive in that that shouldn't happen to you. Like we did when, um, like when a family member um, was gonna get married to someone who wasn't Jewish and you know, we were invited to the wedding and they knew that we couldn't come on Saturday. So we were hoping she was going to do it on the Saturday. And of course, she's like, oh, no, because I really want you to be there. And we knew that we couldn't be there, but we didn't want to have a very big 
shallow is, bias problem. And so, you know, we just dive and dive it. And it turned out that it, Hashem was really Rahmanas on us. And Papa, it ended up that it was the second day of Rosh Hashanah. So we didn't Papa, have to go. That's a beautiful story. And it's and <laughs> going to someone else's wedding or whatever is it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's complicated and you don't want to, but personally facilitating a statement that the Torah is not MS and there's an alternate truth and the Torah even accepts this, this as a reality. Now we said something in the chat, which is very important. I just want to mention, and then we could continue on the Q and A demanding that Orthodox people, synagogues, schools, accommodate a, or, 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 or accept a violation of the Torah and say it's acceptable. Okay, what we're doing is we're saying we're, we're basically sabotaging that person or that school or that shul from being orthodox. In other words, if you have an orthodox school and sitting in the class is a child who has two fathers and that, as the Torah says, it's usur. And there are no, and that a marriage is between a man and a woman. And you're trying to teach that the Torah is MS. And then there are people that you accept that that's also their MS. You can't teach Torah. Within two to three years, that school cannot teach Torah, period. It's and over. so the, the child gets This is happening. This is happening. So that's happening. So now, yes, what happens? I know. So what do you do? But what about the child? What, child, about the child. Child. what about the child? So let's talk about the child. Number one, there's, later, two, later. there's two separate issues. Okay. Issue number one is I'm an Orthodox school. I want to Okay, wait. I hear background noise. I'm an Orthodox school. I want to teach Torah. But sitting in front of me is someone that says, but you accept that this violation of Torah is acceptable. So then I can't teach Torah. So now the school has an has a problem. I cannot teach Torah and accept this total um, distortion of Torah. So I can't, so what do I do now? There's a few choices, like, um, right? The child or the parents that wanna put their child in that school have to admit, this is us, sir. We are doing something against the Torah and we want our children to learn what the Torah actually says, mm -hmm. okay? We want our Torah to learn we are in violation of the Torah. We understand that's between us and God, but we want our child to learn real Torah. And you could tell them that it's not allowed. That's number one. But if the parents say, absolutely not, this is allowed. And our child is, is, is you, must, you must change and distort Torah to accommodate our child's sensibilities. Then what does the school do? So there needs to be, and there probably will eventually be, other schools like Balchuva institutions for children that come from situations like any Balchuva where their parents violated the Torah, whatever the reasons were by accident, from trauma, because of Tinuk Shanishba, whatever. Schools for people that grew up in environments that were contrary to Torah, Balchuva yeshivas. And hopefully these kids will end up in those yeshivas. But we, but, but we can't destroy the entire Chinuch system, right? It's very tricky and there's no question the lines have to be drawn. And there's no question that the you know we still have to be able to balance tremendous rahmanas and believe, trust in people and hope in people and hoping this fad will pass and 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 this. So they're really all the only power we have is to pray. No, it's not the only power. No, the power is to be very very strong in our priorities 
and tell people to be part of our school and our yeshivas and our communities. You have to acknowledge that our ancient Torah is Torah's MS, Torah's Moshe has handed down. You are, you have, you can say, I believe the Torah's MS. I can't do this right now, but I want you to teach Torah's MS, even if it means saying that what I'm doing is wrong. That's okay. And hopefully this horrible curse will pass. This fad will die out. This trend that is sucking people into it will die out bikarov, and our children will and will have a hope of coming back, coming back to their senses. But the only way that will happen is we stay very strong. There has to be a gravitational core to come back to. But aren't the schools afraid of being sued? There's a lot of legalities. Yeah, yes, but then they can't take government money anymore. You know what? Things will change. Ah, yes. Well, that was why you had that conundrum. Of course. The, if you don't take government money and you're a private school, you have certain religions. whatever. Yeah. And taking government money way back in, in the 40s and the 50s. He was dead set against it. Yes, he, he was. We know that. Yeah. Yes. Guys, I have to end, but Mir Tashem, we can see you in the Q&A. Esther, Esther, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Have a good time. Are job. you going to do this time again? Thank you. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Are we going to have the show next week, Esther? Shabbat. Yes, for next week. What day? I don't know. It'll be on the chats. Okay, because I have to, I build my week around you and I can't right. do it. <laughs> Take care, everyone. I got it in the meeting. Take good Shabbos. Okay, bye. Good Shabbos.